All right. Well, listen, welcome to church this morning. Welcome to New Life Church. It's an honor and a privilege uh, to be in front of you, to stand here and to welcome you. And we are so thankful that you are here this morning here at our church. And what a day we've been blessed with already. What a morning we've had already to be reminded that our Jesus is supreme. Amen. That he reigns and that he sees you and he knows you. And he's aware of who you are, every step you take, everywhere you go, and everything that's about your life, he sees, and he loves you, and he wants to communicate that to you today and wants you to know that. Listen, I'm, I'm not the one that's going to be preaching today. I've asked a very dear, longtime friend, gosh, 31 years, it's nuts, that, that yeah, <laughs> That, uh, yeah, it's crazy. You know, we're both 30 years old now, and we've known each other for 31 years. So, um, but I've known uh, Denise Bennett Horn uh, for that long, uh, long time. Friend. Her brother and I are same time amount of friends, 31 years. Uh, he's the pastor in Memphis at Renewal Church, formerly known as Christ the Rock Church that I grew up in. Uh, Denise and I shared some ministry together for several years in student ministry. And um, she is married to Jeremy Horn. We've had him here a few times before. Some of you might remember that. Um, she is the mom of Judah, Liam, and Daisy. And um, we're ex- I'm excited today for her to be able to come and share God's word with us. She is a, a powerful speaker. She is a compassionate pastor. And she is a very loyal person. Um, so many good things I could say about you, it would take all day, it really would, because that's, that's how I feel, and that's how Haley and I feel about you and your family, and uh, we're, we're in, we got a real treat today, guys, so will you please help me welcome Denise Horn today. I love you. How are y'all? Y'all okay? Y'all gotta like talk back to me today, I get a little insecure up here, is that all right? Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Jeremy and Haley are some of my dearest, closest, bestest friends, and I could be the president of their fan club. I happen to think they're some of the best humans that have ever walked the earth. Um, And I'm not just saying that because, like, you know, guest speakers get up and say that. I can vouch. Like, they are legit. You guys are so blessed. And you have Lindsay. I think most churches should not get all the cool people in one church. That's just not really fair. So y'all need to, like, spread the love. Come on to Memphis. So anyway. I think everybody needs a Lindsay. I totally agree with you. I am right there with you, right there with you. Well, let's just jump right in, you guys. If you have your Bibles, we all turn to uh, the book of Mark. Good old Mark. We're going to be in chapter 8. I feel like I'm going to sneeze. Do you have that moment where it's just like the tickle? So it could come at you full blast in just a moment. I keep like waiting for it. We're going to be in chapter 8. We're going to bounce around a little bit. Y'all are actually going to help me today because this is stuff that you already know. You could preach this better than me. So y'all are going to help me out, okay? Yes? Yes? Y'all have to talk back to me, remember? Okay, I'm going to talk to you. All right, that's fine. That's just fine. All right, we're in Mark chapter 8. We're going to start in verse, oh, Lord, my eyes, 14. Um, Y'all there? Y'all ready? Or is it up here? Or no? Whatever. Um, Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, they being the disciples. They had only had one loaf with them in the boat. Now, maybe this doesn't seem like a real tragedy to you, but I am somebody that absolutely loves bread. Is anybody with me? 
all day long. Like I could just eat all the bread, all of it, all of it. I love bread. So this is, this is seriously a tragedy. They forgot the bread. So I would read it like, they forgot the bread. You know what I mean? They're probably like, oh no, we forgot the bread. Oops. You know, but I would be freaking out. Like we didn't bring the bread. Who was supposed to bring the bread? Um, they were on the boat. I love that they're always on a boat. And he cautioned them. Jesus cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, do you all ever find Jesus to be a little cryptic sometimes? You know what I'm talking about? Like, he's a little bit like us. Like, how many of y'all have kids who play Minecraft? Anybody? And they come and they tell you about, like, their Minecraft world. And they go on and on into all this detail. And you're just staring at them like, what on earth are you talking about? Like, I don't even understand. And then I usually say something like wrong back, you know what I mean? Because my little girl Daisy, she's about to turn 10 next week, and she's always coming and telling me about her Minecraft world that she make video game, for those of you that are as in the dark as I am, it's completely stupid. And she goes on and on and on into all this detail, and she's so excited, and she gets done, and somehow I seem to have the wrong answer. Do you know what I'm talking about? So I'll be like, cool. And she's like, I died. And I'm like, oh, oh, I'm, that really stinks. Sorry. You know, I just like, it's the wrong answer. And like, Jesus cracks me up right here because it goes on to say really quick, they began discussing with one another, the disciples, the fact, I promise Minecraft has something to do with it, that they had no bread. Jesus was aware of this and said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Did you not perceive or understand? No, Jesus, we didn't. What are you talking about? You know, like, did he take a nap? Was he like talking in his sleep? Did he fall asleep and he heard bread? And so he's just like, beware of the leaven. I don't know. Maybe that's something to do with anything, right? He's answering them like they're talking about their Minecraft world. And he's like, that is fantastic. All right. Like he is, it almost seems like he has no point of reference for this. And I love cryptic Jesus. He is seriously my favorite. I like when they're walking along and he comes across like that um, the, the, the fig tree, and it's not even the season to have figs growing on the tree. Y'all know this story? Y'all remember this story? And what does he do to the tree? Like, is he mad? Did he wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Like, it's not the season for there to be figs on the tree. And he's like cursing trees, and they're dropping dead. And it's like, if you're with Jesus, wouldn't you be like, oh, God, I'm very codependent. So I would just be like, oh, is everybody okay? Like, let me explain what just happened here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> let me explain. Jesus is hangry. Can somebody get the Lord of Snickers? Do you know what I mean? Like, why is he so angry that he's like cursing trees? Like, what is going on? This is my favorite Jesus. So the disciples are on this boat. They have just come from doing miracles from him, like, you know, just putting some heat on some Sadducees. I love that Jesus too. I love all the Jesuses. But anyway, and they get on this boat and they start arguing with each other. You didn't bring the bread? Why didn't you bring the bread? Well, John should have brought the bread. Well, I don't know. John was busy like hugging everybody. Why didn't Peter bring the bread? I don't know. Peter was running security. Where's Judas counting the money? Like nobody knows who was supposed to bring the bread. But obviously there was supposed to be bread on this boat and they forgot it. Now Jesus is also on the boat. He overhears them arguing. And how many of y'all have kids that have ever argued in the back seat and you're like, dear God, what could you possibly be arguing about? You know what I mean? And you're just like, what? Like, why are you arguing? It's about absolute, you're saying the same thing. Just stop talking. You know what I mean? If y'all had, do y'all have more than one kid? Who has kids in here that fight all the time? No, no, I'm kidding. My kids are actually good. But my brother and I, they used to have to like separate us at church. The pastor's kids, they would totally be like, Chris on one side of the building, Denise, go to another town. It was just, we were horrible to each other. So they're all fighting with each other. They can't figure out who's supposed to bring the bread. And cryptic Jesus pops up. Beware the leaven. He probably didn't do it like that. But I like to think he did. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. That's just a weird comeback for like your youth group fighting about bread. Don't you think? Like that's odd. That's a little like, okie dokie, Jesus. We will we'll get right on that. So then he tries to explain it. He's aware. He starts asking them. And then he says, are your hearts hardened? I'm like, 
yo, I'm just hungry. Like, no, they're, they're not hardened. I'm starving and I'm angry because what was Bartholomew doing? Like, what does Bart do? Bart does nothing. He could have gotten the bread. You know what I'm saying? Like, please. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? This is Jesus's way of saying, bless your heart. You know what I'm talking about? This is where he starts like shaming people because there's like, he who has ears, let him hear. Well, I think we've all got ears, Jesus. We're pretty covered. Everybody's got at least one. And if they don't, you could probably fix that real quick. So what is it you're trying to say? That is a total bless your heart moment. This is one of those moments where if Jesus was a mean guy, he'd be like, (sighs) idiots, right? Like you can't understand what is going on. Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 and many baskets full of broken pieces, how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And then seven for the 4,000. How many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said, do you still not get it? No, I don't get Like, what? No, I don't get it. All these disciples have really great names. You know, the John the Beloved, Peter the Rock. If I lived back then, I would be Denise. No, shh. Put your hand down. You know, I just would have questions like all the time. I'd be the one in the boat where he's just like, don't you get it? And I'd be like, I really, have you seen my hair color? (laughs) I don't get it. What are you talking about, right? So let's backtrack really quick. If you have your Bible, jump back. This is just a couple chapters. It's in Mark chapter six. You know this story. I'm sure you heard it in children's church when you were little. If you were like me, it was on a flannel board. Did y'all have flannel boards? Come on, you remember the flannel board? That was awesome. Take your videos and shove it. We had flannel boards. All right. So this is when Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's in chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus, and they told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. I'm down that Jesus likes to get away from people and and chill. Aren't y'all? Thank God. Anyway, for many were were coming and going, and they had no leisure. They They didn't have time to eat. And they went away on a boat, always on a boat, to a desolate place by themselves. And a bunch of people saw them and recognized them. They start freaking out, right? They're like, he's on the boat. He's going across the sea. Let's go, right? And they follow them. They ran, they ran to them on foot from all the towns and got to the place they were going ahead of them. And when Jesus and his disciples went ashore, he saw the great crowd and he had compassion on them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. Isn't it interesting? Because it goes on to tell us that there's 5,000 men in attendance, It doesn't mention the women and the children. Now, I'm not going to get all up in my feels about this, but let me just tell you this really quick. It is funny that in the Bible is the only place where they, like, downsize the number. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, nowadays, everybody's like, there's, like, five people there, and they're like, I think it was close to 100. I mean, that parking lot was full of air. You know what I mean? Like we're always like evangelistically speaking, like it proves something awesome is going on if there's a bunch of people. But if you notice Jesus' response to crowds and multitudes and tons of people was, oh, bless their heart. Like he felt sorry for them. He was like, you guys, so many people don't get it. Sit down, let me teach you. You know what I mean? Like he was always having compassion. This wasn't proof that they all had great faith. Jesus was always finding the singular person that had faith, wasn't he? He was always looking at the individual. He was always seeing the woman in the crowd, the face that was hidden in the middle of everybody else, the kid that brought a value meal. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he could find the one little spot and yet we get worried sometimes when what we do doesn't like draw millions. You know what? Millions should make us feel sorry for them, but when it comes time to be taught, Jesus always brought his own to himself. Even the great sermon on the mountain, the book of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it doesn't say that Jesus got up there and he tested the mic and he's like, can y'all hear me in the backfield? Let me hear you on the left say, whoa. He didn't do that. He didn't get up and like yell at everybody. He grabbed his disciples. He sat them down on top of the mountain and he began to teach them saying, blessed are, and he gave the sermon on the mount. 
so were there just really good acoustics on this particular hill? Like how in the world did everybody hear them? There were thousands of people there too. Wouldn't it be possible if it was one of those teaching moments where Jesus was making disciples out of his disciples who were supposed to go make disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples. He was teaching them the ways of Jesus to trade their ways for his ways so that they could turn around to that crowd of people and teach them how to trade your ways for his ways so that they would turn around to the people behind them and teach them how to trade your ways for his way. It was all a part of this discipleship process that he was doing. Jesus was not impressed with crowds. He was impressed with faith. And usually that was like one person. It was usually the one person that he singled out. Isn't that legit? I love that. That's not even what we're talking about, but here we go. All right, where am I? So he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, he had compassion on them, and when it grew late, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate. Well, duh, that's where we said we were going, I'm just saying, anyway. Get a GPS. So send them away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages, buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered to them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> I love him. Anyway, like what in the world? Me give him something. I didn't bring anything. Did you bring anything to eat? I don't know. That's Judas. He's got the money. Like what in the world? Why was Jesus telling them to give them something to eat? He obviously thought maybe they'd be prepared for this. I'm kind of thinking Jesus should have been prepared, but whatever. He can make something out of nothing. Send them away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, what, should we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and just start passing it out? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go see. So when they found out, they said five and two fish. And we all know that they came from a child, right? There's so much in this story that I absolutely love. I love that Jesus used the little bit that a kid had to absolutely confound all of these people, right? Like, it's amazing. He used a child. I love that. The youth pastor in me, like, digs stuff like this. And he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all. At this point, if you're one of the disciples, aren't you a little concerned? You're like, Jesus is crazy, right? Like, wow, Lord, there's, there's a lot. We didn't even count the chicks or the, or the kids. Like, it's a lot of people. So this is going to be the equivalent to the little communion crackers everybody gets, like the wafer and the really nasty juice. Do you all have to do that? Yay, pandemic. I mean, it's been awful. Anyway, Jesus hasn't been tasting so good. But, like, that's, that's what I'm envisioning in my head that they're probably passing out, right? Like, the disciples are passing out all of this bread. And, like, well, how much did you take? Put that back. Put it back. Put it back. All right. You know what I mean? So it's like going around trying to like make this stuff last. Like I have been at the end of grocery budget and had to make the food last in the fridge. Anybody been there before? And I'm just like, don't you touch that milk. That is for tomorrow. Do you know what I'm saying? We're trying to like stretch it out as best as we can. But Jesus was like so oblivious. He's like, you feed him. Oh, you can't? All right, go find something. Let me pray. Let me break it. All right, start passing out. Go. Bon appetit, right? And everybody starts eating. This is what's absolutely crazy. After they divided everything up, they started passing it out. They, everyone ate until they were satisfied. Satisfied. Would you be satisfied with a bite of bread? I would not. I wouldn't be satisfied with a loaf of bread. You know what I'm saying? They ate until they were satisfied. In other words, they filled themselves up. And then, y'all know how it goes, they took up the broken pieces and the leftovers. And there were 12 baskets full. I've got to imagine, like, while this is going on, Surely the disciples were like in charge of different stations or something and just didn't realize, oh, you're taking up leftover. I was taking, I'm the leftover. Why are we all, you're taking up leftovers too? 
why is everybody taking, we had like two fish, like what is happening? You know what I mean? Everybody's taking up leftovers. They end up having 12 baskets, okay? So everybody say 12 baskets. Come on, play with me, 12 baskets. We're gonna fast forward a little bit. Jesus does some other crazy stuff. He like walks on the water, yay, surfing. He heals somebody that's sick. He goes over some traditions and, and commandments and gets mad at some people and, you know, commented on a woman's faith, healed a deaf dude, um, put the slam down on some Sadducees. And then we jump over to chapter eight. Verse one says this, in those days, again, when a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. Yes, we will, Jesus. Thank you for looking after my blood sugar. Y'all, he is a good God. If I send them away, they'll faint. And some of them have come from a really far away place. We have. Thank you, Lord. And his disciples answered him, how can one of us feed these people with the bread here in this desolate place? For real. Don't you just want to be like, what, 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 what did you just say? There's thousands of people here. How are we supposed to feed them? It was like two days ago, bro. Like, literally days have passed. Maybe not even that long. You seriously don't know how, how are we going to feed them? I have no idea. Do they Uber Eats around here? Should we order a pizza? Like, I don't know. What do you think we should do? Why in the world? They forget so quickly. They remind me of the Israelites. I guess the apple didn't fall far. They were always forgetful of the good stuff that God did. At least that took them a few years to forget some things. These dudes were like two days later, like, I don't know. How are we going to eat? I don't know. Let's take a guess. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. Having given thanks, he broke them, gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had some small fish, and having blessed them, he set these also before the crowd, and they ate, and they were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away and immediately got into the boat with the disciples and went on. So we've got two stories that we've all heard probably a million times, wouldn't you say? Okay, I don't want to exaggerate. 900,000 times we have heard this story that he fed 5,000 people on the lunch of a little boy, that he fed 4,000 people with like seven loaves and a few fish. So when they're arguing on this boat, they basically come from two miracles. Both times there were leftovers, correct? Right? There were leftovers. There was some bread left over. They get onto this boat and they start panicking. What are we going to do? What are we, what are we going to eat? What are we supposed to do? Freaking out. Never mind the fact that the creator of the universe is sitting in said boat with them, who has made something from nothing. That's kind of his thing, right? He could easily fix this. He just did two miracles with no help from them. They didn't bring anything. He borrowed from the lunch of a kid. He broke it up and he filled other people with it and they are stressed out. His best friends who have watched him do miracles, who have listened to him speak, who have watched him do miraculous things and heal people and make lame people walk and make blind people see and make deaf people hear and they're worried that they're not gonna get to eat. Now I feel it, but y'all seriously, come on. You're going to be that worried with Jesus in your boat. And then we've got cryptic Jesus coming out with, I don't know if he was just having like a really good dream. Maybe he was like casting out a demon in a dream or something. But and he kind of heard bread a little bit. You've ever been like kind of asleep, but not all the way asleep. And you try to like participate in the conversation and you're a little off. Just me, that's cool. But he, maybe he heard bread and was like, hey, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And they're like, 
we, we will do that, Lord. Thank you for such wonderful instruction. Go back to sleep. What did he mean? And why on earth would Jesus warn his best friends about the Pharisees? Were the Pharisees people that Jesus liked? Y'all can answer me. Did Jesus like the Pharisees? You can say no. He loved them. He didn't like it. No, I'm kidding. He had some harsh words for the Pharisees. He called them real sweet names like um, sack of snakes. You remember that? Washed up tombs. I mean, God, he was, he was a people person for sure. Like just extroverting, you know? He had amazing things to say for these guys. Now, these guys probably didn't start off as like the bad guy. They probably didn't start off as some evil people. They were just the scripture scholars. They were the ones that memorized the Torah. They, they knew all the things that you were supposed to know. And when God was silent for 400 years while they were waiting on the birth of the Messiah, if you happen to be a Jewish person who believed the Son of God would be coming one of these days, you might go to them with your questions about, the, about God, about the Torah, about the commandments. You might go to them if you needed instruction or guidance. You probably, they would probably come to you if they wanted to rebuke you. And then they kind of like loved doing that. So that became a big thing. Meanwhile, God's people are waiting for their like avenger to come and fix everything that was broken. They wanted Israel back on the map. They wanted God's people to be taken seriously again. We're tired of going in exile and being people's slaves and getting kicked out of our country and losing our land and getting our people killed. God's going to send us a savior and our Messiah is going to come and he's going to show all of y'all up. What? Like that's what they were expecting. But how did God send this Messiah? Did it come down like the Hulk? That's what I would prefer. You know what I mean? Like scare everybody. That's right. Take us seriously. What'd you say yesterday about the Hebrews? Yes, sir. Like that's what I would want. But instead he comes as this lowly, humble, innocent baby. This baby can't do anything for us. And then this baby grows up into this man who people begin to be attracted to and love and follow around. And he starts teaching things that are bananas. It like fulfilled scripture, but it called them to another way. It called people out of their selfishness to do things differently. It pushed people out of what was comfortable for them. And then he started doing really crazy stuff, saying like he was God and casting out demons and then dun da 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 forgiving people, blasphemy. You can't forgive people. Only God can forgive people. And the Pharisees became put out by this Jesus. And very early on, y'all know, they were plotting his murder. They were constantly trying to catch him in some kind of lie, twist his words, ask him certain questions so that, that he couldn't answer, but he could answer everyone. They became jealous because where they were looked to as having this image of we know what's going on and we've all got it together and we've got all the answers and we're so spiritual, nobody's coming to them anymore. They're even rejecting them and they're going to this Jesus. This Jesus, who's actually going to like tax collectors' houses. We don't go to tax collectors' houses. We don't eat with them. We cross the street when they're on one side of the street. He's loving people that you're not supposed to love. He's touching people that are sick. It's contagious. Like really contagious. Like leprosy, like they don't have a nose. And he's touching them. He's going against all the rules. He's not doing it right. And it was changing the way people viewed these Pharisees. All of a sudden, they were not as scared of those Pharisees as they had been. All of a sudden, they weren't as like, hmm, y'all might think that, but man, every time I'm with Jesus, I feel so loved. I feel like God wants me. He wants to be with me. Why on earth would Jesus tell his best friends whilst arguing over snacks, road trip snacks, 
Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. It's almost insulting, isn't it? If somebody were to be like, you're such a Pharisee, I am not. I would never. Pharisees were the ones who traipsed up to the front row with their long robes, and I don't know if they had the little jingle bells on the end or something. I don't know what they were all that stuff for. And they would pray these loud, lengthy prayers, probably with a lot of alliteration like that. And they like had all the answers for the things, and they, people would like fall all over themselves and invite them over and give them the best seat in the house and the best seat at the table, and all of a sudden, this wasn't happening anymore. Why in the world would Jesus compare us? We left our homes. We left everything for you. We don't have anything. We don't have anywhere to put our head. We left our families. We don't have jobs. We're like out here with you. Why would you ever think that we are like a Pharisee? But notice he doesn't say, don't be a Pharisee. Don't act like a Pharisee. Careful that you don't become a Pharisee. What does he tell them to beware of? Leaven. I don't bake. Any of y'all bake? Y'all just really don't want to answer me. It's okay. I love you. Thank you. All right. If, uh, if something's homemade for me, it's because I left home and made it on down to Kroger. Anybody with me? Like, it's just, it's not going to happen. Like, the one homemade thing I make, it's Haley's recipe. <laughs> and I don't even tell anybody it's Haley's. I'm like, thank you, thank you. Would you like one too? I'll make it for you. Yeah. Anyway, it's my son's favorite thing to eat. I fix it all the time. But I don't know much about baking, but I do know that when it comes to bread rising, you don't need much leaven. Right? Right? You don't need much. You need the tiniest little bit, and then what happens to that lump of dough? I know, I love it. That's the visual I have too. Yes, it just grows. Huge and huge. So when Jesus is saying, beware of the leaven, beware of the tiniest little bit of thinking like a Pharisee. What prompted him to say that though? They're arguing about bread. They're arguing about food. They're blaming each other because this is the human condition. Since the beginning of time, when we get caught in our sin and found naked, what do we do? She made me do it. We blame. We hide and we blame. And they're blaming each other. And Jesus is telling them, you need to beware of the tiniest little bit of the teaching. In in the book of Matthew, the the same story is told in a little bit different way. But he actually says, beware of the teaching of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of the teaching of the Pharisees. The tiniest little bit of what they teach. Not how they act. Not who they are. He's not afraid you're going to become one of those dudes and go buy fancy robes and start praying like obnoxious prayers. What he is looking out for you for, what he is concerned is the condition of your heart. That the tiniest little bit of you behaving like a Pharisee. How are they behaving like a Pharisee though? They thought they had to bring something to the table to give him something to work with. We've got this mentality when it comes to following Jesus that I've got to bring him my best so he's got something to work with. Yeah, Jesus saved me, but man, I'm also a really good person. I don't know if you know this, but I've got perfect attendance at church. There's no award. I just count it myself. I don't know if you know this, but I know an awful lot of scripture. We're three generations deep, churchgoers in my family. Yeah, so, you know. Probably that helps out a little bit, you know. I'm trying to get in the front row in heaven. <laughs> yes. Anytime we are trying to help out Jesus, we're acting like a Pharisee. Anytime even a sliver of us is relying on ourselves and our good works, that's the leaven of the Pharisee. Anytime I live a prayerless life, because I got this, I don't need your help. Let me exhaust all my efforts and do everything I know to do. And if I, if I run out and I still need you, I'll let you know. Who'd have thought that's the leaven of a Pharisee? 
me pushing back from God, leaven of the Pharisee. Because what were these Pharisees? They were trying to be godly without a relationship with God. They were posing as Christians without a Christ. They wanted followers, but they weren't following anybody else. They wanted their image to look a certain way. They weren't willing to die for people. They were the complete opposite of Jesus. He looked people in the face and he loved them. He touched sick. He sat with poverty. He was around the people everybody hated. He pushed messages of humility and forgiveness. And that's the kind of stuff a lot of us, we push back on. You don't get it. I shouldn't have to forgive them. They've never said they were sorry to me. They keep doing this over and over and over again. They're not gonna stop. I have an exemption. God knows how hurt I am, so he doesn't touch that part. I don't have to give him that. He's not gonna touch that part of my heart. He would never ask me for that. They're wrong. It's the leaven of the Pharisee. It is us trying to save ourselves and manage our human condition instead of dying to ourselves and laying ourselves before Jesus. Jesus was concerned listening to his best friends argue about creating a substance, about feeding them when he's sitting there like, y'all, you're the only thing I made from something else. Everything else in this life I made from nothing. Oh, and by the way, I made you from dirt. Do you really think in this moment, I need you to bring me your Sunday best, your memorized Bible verses, your good works that you've done, what a great upstanding citizen you are, that you're so moral. You think that's gonna help you out? You think you paved the way to God by your good practices? Man, accepting Jesus, you guys, it is not me meeting God halfway. It is me being stuck in my sin and a relentless savior ran all the way to me. And he didn't stop till he got me. The leaven of the Pharisee, you guys, it's the thing that we don't wanna let control, like let go of because we want that control. Nobody loves my kids like I love my kids. If I surrender control, what's gonna happen to them? If I surrender control of these things in my life, he's gonna make me do things I don't wanna do. It's, it's not safe. Y'all ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? It's one of my favorite books to read to my kids when they're little. And I love the part when Mr. Beaver is talking to the kids and he looks at Lucy and he says, and he's talking about Aslan, who's like the God figure in this allegory, and he says, safe. Aslan's safe? Who said anything about safe? I never said he was safe. I said he was good. The thing about following Jesus is sometimes it feels shaky which kind of takes us to that other part because he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, of self-reliance, of depending on you, of thinking you can save you, of thinking your goodness makes you okay with me, of not depending on Jesus fully and his complete and full sacrifice and forgiveness for your path to God. But he also says, beware the leaven of Herod. And we're not gonna go back into that because we gotta, I gotta shut up in a minute, but we all know Herod. Herod was the king when Jesus was born. And a few years after he was born, some kings came to him. Do y'all remember this story? And they were like, we, we need to find this wonderful king that's come. We've brought gifts to him and we want to worship him. And Herod, all of a sudden, who, what? Another, I'm sorry, another king? Those gifts aren't for me? All of a sudden, his image, he's defensive. 
no, 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 no. Beware of the presence of Jesus. Beware of the presence of Jesus moving in on what you want. Beware of being like Herod, who was so threatened by the presence of Jesus that he pushed back on it altogether. That in a rage killed a bunch of babies and toddlers because he so rejected people not needing him. Beware of believing that the presence of Jesus is a threat to your life. That it's a threat to your happiness. It's a threat to your selfishness. It's a threat to what we want to do. So what Paul tells us, he doesn't guarantee us by following Jesus, you are just man, it is a road paved with roses and it's awesome and it's blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. No, he promises us suffering. This isn't gonna hurt. The leaven of the Pharisees and Herod makes you hold tightly to the things you've got in your life and not surrender them to Jesus. But the presence of Jesus Oh, it unpries your fingers from it. It says, give me that. I want that. I want your kids. I want your marriage. I want your job. I want your decisions. I want your future. I want all of your heart. And it's like he goes in our hearts with a flashlight and looks around. Hey, 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 I see some, some hard spots here. You've got to forgive. I know they don't deserve it. I know they're never going to be sorry. I know they probably won't even change. But don't harden your heart. This is leaven. You think you've got it isolated to this one spot. It's going to take over this whole leaven. Anger and hatred, it's going to come out of everywhere. I know you've struggled to trust me because it's felt like you've prayed and prayed and you haven't heard back from him. He won't answer you or he doesn't give you the answer that you want. And so everything in you feels like, why should I bother? Why should I bother? I'll do this myself. And Jesus is telling us today, guys, beware. Beware. Watch out for even the tiniest little bit of that growing in your heart. Because what I want to grow in your heart looks way different than that. I know it's scary to give up things that we've, man, sometimes our unforgiveness and our offense, it becomes like a big cushy couch. We're just comfortable. It's been here for so long, I don't want to get rid of it. But this is what he's putting his finger on. He's not moved by whether or not we're good people. He's not moved by all the things that we know and the things that we've done and the things that we will do. Man, he is moved by faith. And that is something the Pharisees and Herod never had. They could not believe Jesus was God. They couldn't believe he was good. 
He threatened their well-being. He threatened their popularity. He threatened their way of life. He threatened their comfort. Everything about him made them uncomfortable and they didn't want to let go of who they were. And when Jesus saw even the tiniest little bit of this growing in the hearts of his followers, of his best friends, he caught it in a moment. It just came out in an argument over something so silly and he looks at him, you are worried you're not going to get fed. You're worried I'm going to hold out on you. You're worried I don't have good things for you. Were you not there for those last two miracles? I'm not holding out on you. I am not keeping goodness from you. I'm not ignoring you. I'm right here. And I do miracles with whatever anybody else can bring. I break it up and I feed it and I fill people with it. What if your miracle, the thing you're avoiding is brokenness? What if your miracle is your brokenness? What if your miracle is to finally break? I can't do it anymore. I've done it for myself this whole time. I'm done. I give up. I surrender. I need you. What if our miracle is in the breaking, you guys? Because in the breaking, there is more of us to give to others and to fill them up. Beware of even the tiniest little bit of self-reliance growing in your heart. Beware of the tiniest little bit of thinking you can do this without Jesus. Beware of the moment you realize you have a prayerless life. I'm not saying that any kind of condemnation, man. I'm, I'm right there with you. Beware of going through things and prayer being the last resort. Beware of trying to do this on your own. You don't have to. Beware of letting your heart go hard because you can't give up the things that God wants you to release to him. It is not our grip on God that saves us. It is his grip on me. Jesus, I love you so much. And it's hard to do this. It is hard to follow you. It is hard to let go of who we are and what we've always known and what we've always believed. It's hard to relinquish control of our hearts and of our lives. We just naturally want to run them ourselves. It is hard to trust you, especially with our most precious possessions and relationships. It's hard to believe that you're good, but would you help us? Just what Pastor Jeremy prayed earlier, would you help us see your goodness? See that you are not holding out on us. Your presence, Jesus, is not a threat to my life. Your presence, Jesus, is a necessity to my life. God, I pray for everyone in here, whatever it is that needs to be just relinquished control of, surrendered to you completely. I feel like there are a lot of hearts in here that are holding on to some unforgiveness. 
We don't even go in that back room to look at it because we don't really want to acknowledge that it's there. Because if we do, you'll make us do something with it. That's how you are. It's how you are. Would you help us let go of what is keeping us from feeding a multitude? Would you help us surrender to being broken? so that our lives can fill others. Would you help us not be threatened by your presence, but welcome it as uncomfortable and unsafe as it might feel sometimes. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into every place of our heart. If you believe that, would you just say it? Holy Spirit, I welcome you into every place of my heart. Do with us whatever you want to do, Lord. Use us however you want to use us. Shape us into whatever you want us to be. Help us trust you with all that we are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us so much that you won't even let the tiniest little sliver of something go unnoticed because you know what it can turn into. May your presence overwhelm our hearts and take over every place. In Jesus' name.